Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Father, we do thank you that you are our Creator, that you have called us your friends. You are our Lord. You're our all in all. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to your word. For it is your word as our loving Father to us, to instruct us, to encourage us, to help us to live the life that you've called us to live as your children we might proclaim your excellencies before those who do not know you. I confess my total dependence upon you this morning to minister your word and your grace. And we look to you because you promised your word shall never go out and return unto you without accomplishing what you desire for it to accomplish and succeeding in the matter for which you sent it out. Jesus name. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue our study of 1 Peter that I've entitled Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times. You'll take your bulletin out as an outline provided for you there to follow along. Uh, just to recapture for you what we have previously said about our times of study in First Peter. Uh, we're looking at our purpose as Christians, which is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us. We saw that over in chapter 2, over in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our purpose. Now, the principle of how we are to proclaim his excellencies is by keeping our behavior excellent in front of unbelievers. We see that over in verse 12 of chapter 2. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So the broad purpose is to proclaim His excellencies. The the principle behind that purpose is to live a godly life, to keep our behavior excellent in front of people. And then Peter gives us the particulars. He says that we particularly... Proclaim the excellencies of God in our lifestyle when we live in submission to authorities. Particularly when we suffer because of our submission to God's authorities in our lives. Now we have seen already that Peter has dealt with submitting to godless government. He has dealt with submitting to bad bosses. And today he is going to deal with how to win 
a disobedient husband to the Lord. How to proclaim the excellencies of God in the home place. He's talked about the workplace. He's talked about in the government. But how does a wife proclaim the excellencies of God to her husband who is disobedient to the word, who may be an unbeliever? He talks about that today. And we pick up in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Stand together with me as I read in respect for the Word of God. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing, most of all, the obeying of His Word. Now, the first thing we must realize is that wives are to follow the example of Christ in their suffering submission. He says in verse 1, In the same way you wives... Be submissive to your own husbands. In the same way refers back to what he said about us being submissive to godless government, about us being submissive to bad bosses, and particularly he's speaking about the example of Christ. You see, Jesus calls wives to follow in his footsteps. Look in verse 21 of chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, Peter takes this example of Christ and he puts it somewhere that you would not expect him to place it in this passage. You would think that he would either place it at the beginning before he talks about submission to godless government and submission to bad bosses, or he would put it at the end after he has dealt with these areas of submission. But he does not do that. Notice he puts it right before he speaks to wives. It's not a natural place for it to be. You'd think either at the beginning or at the end. But he puts it right before immediately before he speaks to the wives in the same way. Why do you think God led him to do that? I think it's because of all these areas of submission, this one is the most difficult. As difficult as it might be to submit to godless government or bad bosses, 
It is more difficult to submit to a disobedient husband, one who is disobedient to the Word of God. And I think Peter knows that. And God surely knows it. And so the Holy Spirit said, let's talk about Jesus right before we talk to the wives because we needed to be fresh in their minds that Jesus is the key. That just as He submitted to ungodly authorities in His lives, they are to submit to their husbands, even those who are disobedient to the Word. I remember when our girls were younger, and I believe it was Tiffany when she was about 10 or 11, and you know, at that age, girls think their dads can do no wrong. They still think we're perfect. And the conversation was about wives submitting to husbands. And I remember her saying to her mom, she said, I don't see why it would be hard to submit to dad. It changes when you get married, though, doesn't it? In fact, I was talking to a lady one time, and she said, you know, I didn't have any trouble submitting to Ben when we were dating or even when we were engaged. But she said, it's like the second we got married that a switch turned on, and I just didn't want to submit to him after that. Well, I think it's the most difficult because Satan knows how important it is, and he doesn't hold back anything in trying to keep wives from being submissive to their husbands. And so we have the example of Christ. And ladies, you must refer to that example. You must ingrain in your mind the Lord Jesus and what He went through and His call to you. But there's a blessing there. You are to be submissive to your own husbands. At least you don't have to submit to some other woman's husband, right? And you did have a say-so in picking that guy. All right? I know you think you were crazy, but hey, you did pick him. It did seem like the best thing to do at the time, didn't it? In fact, I, I tell, told my girls and I tell other girls that are contemplating marriage, I say, if you aren't willing to submit to this guy, don't marry him. Because your call is to submit to him. So don't marry him if you're not willing and if you don't think you can submit to him. So Jesus calls wives to follow in his footsteps. Now also it's very crucial that husbands and wives understand biblical submission. Satan has done a great job at spreading lies about submission and what it is. And nobody would want to submit if that's what it really was. And so I want to just briefly talk about a biblical understanding of submission. Now, I have a whole sermon devoted to this subject that uh, you can find on the website. That's why I can go in much more detail, but I want to cover the highlights because it's, we must understand biblical submission. Number one, submission is not inferiority, but it is recognizing God's order. It has nothing to do with the wife being inferior to her husband has nothing to do with a husband being superior to his wife. That is not the consideration at all. Remember, it's a military term. It simply means to arrange under. It means to recognize an order. Paul talks about that order over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he speaks there in verse 3, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, The man is the head of a woman, 
and God is the head of Christ. Now, here we have it. God the Father, Christ, the man, the woman. Now, that's nothing to do with inferiority or superiority there. Christ is submitted to the Father, and yet they are totally equal, co-equal, co-eternal. It would be heresy to say that the Son was less than the Father, that the Son was inferior to the Father. No, it's rather that Christ the Son recognizes the divine order, and the order is for Him to submit to the Father, just as the order is for us to submit to Christ and for the wife to submit to the husband. So it's just a matter of God's order. Nothing to do with inferiority. Not saying you're less of a person. Secondly, submission is not slavery, but placing your abilities under your husband's leadership. Satan wants women to think, if I submit to him, i got to be his slave. And they picture this little woman, you know, kind of dressed all in a, in a homely, with a bandana on her head and just old, uh, uh, barefooted and uh, just old tattered dress. And her husband comes in and she just, like a puppy dog, runs over and hands him his slippers and the newspaper and his cup of coffee and, you know, just his slave. Well, anybody would react to that. That's not at all what it means. It means to place your abilities, you bring strengths to that marriage that he doesn't have, you bring abilities that he doesn't have, and you place your abilities under his direction, just like in a military situation, you put your abilities under his direction that the whole family will be strengthened. Next, submission is not optional, but it's commanded by God. It's not your husband that commands you to submit. I hear sometimes ladies say to me, you know, I just have a problem submitting to my husband. And I say, no, you don't. You have a problem being obedient to God. Because it's not your husband that tells you to submit. It's God. So if you're not being submissive, it's the problem is you're not being obedient to God. And then lastly, submission is not demeaning, but it is actually exalting. Jesus himself said the greatest was the one who served. And when God calls you to submit to your husband, he is giving you the position that makes you actually greater. He that's humbled is exalted. And when you fulfill the purpose, the design that God has for you as a wife and as a mother, it doesn't demean you. It exalts you. You're fulfilling your God-given purpose. Now that brings us to two essential qualities of a submissive wife. Once Peter says, wives, be submissive to your husbands, now he will give us his definition of submission. He will give us two qualities that must be present if a woman is going to be a submissive wife. So, ladies, you can look at your lives, measure them up according to these qualities, and see if you're being a submissive wife. First, She must have respectful behavior toward her husband. Verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your chaste and respectful behavior. Also, in Ephesians 5, Paul says the same thing when he says, let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Ladies, God is commanding you to respect your husband. A submissive wife is a respectful wife. 
And your respect is seen in your behavior. Do you cut your husband in public? Do you make jokes at his expense? Do you make fun of him in front of the children? Do you say things like, Daddy doesn't know what he's talking about. Daddy always tears everything up he tries to fix. If you do, you are not being respectful and it displeases God. Now the Amplified Bible is a translation that works on the understanding that no single English word can capture a Greek word. And if you've done any translation from one language to another, you know how difficult it is sometimes to take a word in the original language and try to represent it with one word in the other language that you're translating into. And sometimes it takes more than one word to get the idea across. And so the Amplified Bible takes this into consideration. And so when it comes to this verse, they want to explain what this biblical word that we translate respect means. And so I want to read this for you. When they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves, together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him all that reference includes, to respect, defer to, revere him, to honor, esteem, appreciate, prize, and in the human sense to adore him, that is to admire, praise, be devoted to, deeply love, and enjoy your husband. Does anybody have any doubts that men translated this? (laughs) But that is... The meaning of the word respect, when you look at the biblical concept of revere and honor and respect, this is the total meaning of it. And this is what God is calling on wives to do and to be toward their husbands. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I can't respect my husband. Preacher, you just do not know what he's like. He's not responsible. He squanders the money. He won't take the leadership. He's weak. If I wait for him to take over, he never will. If I wait for him to pay the bills, they won't get paid. I can't respect him. He doesn't treat me with love. I don't even think he loves me anymore. And yet God says I am to respect him, to honor him, to revere him, to esteem him. Yes, that's exactly what God says. If you ever want your marriage to improve, you must respect Him. Now here's the key. To separate His position as head of the family from His personality. Granted, as a person, there may not be much you can respect in Him, but you can respect His position as husband and head of the family. No matter how unlovable, no matter how inconsiderate, no matter how disrespectful your husband might be, God has given him to you for a purpose. And you did choose him. But God wants to use that man 
to bring you into levels of Christ-likeness that no one else could do. When you see your husband as God's instrument to teach you agape love, to teach you what it means to be like Christ, then this will help you to respect him and the position that God has placed him in your life. God has placed him as a head of your family to develop in you certain Christ-like qualities that you would learn no other place. For example, say your husband is chronically late. God's placed him there to teach you patience. Maybe he's just not a man you think you can respect. Well, God's given him to you to teach you obedience, to obey God. Because God says respect him. Maybe he's financially irresponsible. And because of that, you have to suffer some hardships. But God's given him to you so that you will trust God and grow through your hardships. When you begin to see your husband as God's instrument to bring you into Christ's likeness, then you can submit to him and respect him. And this is very important, ladies, for you to respect him. When you fail to submit and respect to him, you hinder God working through your husband to bring you into maturity. If you have a resentful attitude or a rebellious attitude toward your husband, that stops God working in your life to make you like Christ. If you complain and you fume and you rebel about your husband, you're not going to learn what God wants you to learn. And your children are going to catch your attitude of disrespect and rebellion as well. And when a child does not respect his father, he is on the road to rebellion. And the key is the wife respecting her husband. Ladies, you will not probably be able to comprehend this, but let me tell you. Your husband had rather have your respect than to have your love. If you love him but don't respect him, he thinks, what does it matter? He wants your respect. And that's why God commands you to respect him. He knows that man needs that. And if he sees that respect in you, it will begin to work wonders in his life. So first, respectful behavior. Second, a quiet and gentle spirit. Second essential quality of a submissive wife. Verse 3. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold, jewelry, or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in God's sight. God says that what is in a woman's heart is more important than how she looks and dresses. Ladies have a tendency to judge themselves by their outward beauty and how they look outwardly rather than their inward qualities. The ladies in Peter's day were the same way. And so he says to them, look, don't spend so much time worrying about your outward appearance 
Be more concerned about your inward beauty. You know, some people will never be what the world calls beautiful on the outside. But every Christian lady can be beautiful on the inside in God's sight. She can be a beautiful person inwardly. And what's more important to you? Outward beauty that the world admires or inward beauty that God says is precious? Well, what is a quiet and gentle spirit? Well, the word quiet means tranquil. And it speaks of a tranquility from within. It's a sense of being at peace within. And that gentle spirit means a meek spirit. It's really power under control. This word was used of a wild horse that had been tamed. Now, the horse wasn't weak. He still had just as much strength as he had before, but his strength was under control. So it doesn't have anything to do with weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. And look at Jesus in chapter 2, verse 23. He is the example of a quiet and gentle spirit. As he was being beaten and crucified, it says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. It's an attitude that trusts God and believes God no matter what happens, it must come through you. And you are using it to make me more like Christ. That's what the quiet and gentle spirit's all about. Jesus suffered quietly because he knew that the Father was in control. And these evil, sinful men could do nothing to him that his loving Heavenly Father in heaven had not ordained to take place. And therefore, he could suffer quietly. He could suffer in confident trust in God. And ladies, that trust is what will enable you to have a quiet and gentle spirit even when your husband is out there getting ready to make a foolish financial decision and you're thinking, oh me. Because you trust in God, you can lovingly state what you believe about the situation and how you believe he's not making a good decision, but then you back off. You don't have to keep going and nagging and nagging and nagging. That's not trusting God. Trusting God says you say what you clearly believe and then you back off and let God work. Because you know that God can even use the mistakes that that man makes to make you stronger and to bring him into levels of Christ-likeness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this quiet and gentle spirit when they stood before the king. And he said, if you don't bow down to the image, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And he said, they said, king, we can't bow down and worship you. Now, if it means throwing us in the furnace, go ahead. Our God can save us if he wants to. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship that image. You see that quiet and gentle spirit? 
They knew God could save them, but they knew even if God did not choose to save them, He was in control, and they could have confidence, complete confidence, in Him. They could entrust their souls to the care of God. And I know some of you are thinking, but preacher, you don't know my marriage. You don't know how miserable I am. You don't know what it's like to be married to this guy. No, I don't. I agree. But God knows. And God is saying to you, I place that man as your husband in order to teach you character qualities of Christ, levels of spiritual faith and trust and maturity that you will learn no other place. Get out of that marriage and you won't learn it. Get out of that marriage and you will not enter into the depths of Christ's likeness that God desires for you because you're getting out of the furnace. You're getting out of the crucible that God uses to shape us. Peter mentions Sarah as the example of one who submitted to her husband. There in verse 6, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now, I think he's referring to the situation in Abraham and Sarah's life when Abraham went down to Gerar and he told Sarah to tell the king there that she was his sister. Because the custom of those days... If a king saw a good-looking woman and she was married, he'd just kill her husband so he could take her to be his wife. And Abraham was afraid that this would happen because they said Sarah was a beautiful woman. And so he said, Sarah, tell him you're my sister. Now, was it right for Abraham to do that? No, absolutely not. Man, he was just being bad. He was just being a, a coward. He was putting her life danger and save his own skin but he did it anyway and the point is she submitted even though he was being disobedient i believe to god although he was not doing the right thing what did she do she understood this quiet and gentle spirit she understood god was in control and nothing could happen to her that god did not ordain to happen and so she went along and said she was his sister well, sure enough, the king Abimelech saw her, and you know what he did? He took her into his house to make her his wife. But he had a dream that night. And God came to him in that dream and said, You are a dead man taking this man's wife. And the king said, I didn't know. I really I didn't know. She said he was his sister. I, I didn't know. And so the king and the God said, Yeah, you didn't know. That's right. Give him back. Give her back to her husband. And God protected her, and the king didn't touch her because she did what was right. You see this, this phrase there in verse uh, 6, without being frightened with any fear. Why does God mention fear when he talks about submission? Because many women, the thing that when they think about submission, they get fearful thinking, but what if? What if he wants me to do this? What if? My husband says this. What if? And the fear 
comes up. Now, Sarah had a great opportunity to be fearful, didn't she? So if you will trust God, if you will believe that God is in control, if you will believe that God takes care of you and nothing can happen to you unless it comes through the hands of a loving God, then you'll be able to submit, have that respectful behavior, have that quiet and gentle spirit without fear. Not because you trust your husband, uh-uh. because you trust God. See the difference? You trust God. Now, what results can the submissive wife expect? First, he will notice your respectful behavior. Verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your husband will notice. When you start respecting him, he will take notice. Because that's what he wants more than anything. So when you start being respectful, this will get his attention. And he says in verse 1, even if he's disobedient, and that means unbelieving and not allow oneself to be persuaded. One of those obstinate men. Not by nagging him is he going to be one to the Lord. No, but by living a life that he observes. You see, as you proclaim the excellencies of God in your home by keeping your behavior excellent, and you do that as you are a respectful wife with a quiet and gentle spirit, your husband will see it. As he looks carefully, that's what that word observe means, to look carefully. And then the next result, he will be one to the Lord without her speaking a word. Sometimes wives come to me and they say, you know, I just how can I get my husband in, in interested in church? He just doesn't care a thing about it. He just doesn't want to go. Well, let me tell you, without speaking a word, that's one way. You know, what's a natural tendency, ladies, to get on his case, to try to make him feel guilty, to tell him what he needs to do? God says that's not the way. Haven't you figured out yet, ladies, he's not going to listen to you. <laughs> Men just have an aversion to being told what to do by women. Call it sin nature. Call it what you want. I just call it reality. If it's his mama, if it's his wife, it doesn't matter. He don't want to do it. And if you keep on long enough, even if he thinks it's the right thing to do, he still won't do it just out of stubbornness. Right? So just quit telling him. Let God work on him. It says... In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so even if any of them are disobedient to the word, unbelievers or a believer who's not living in obedience to the word, they may be one. I think this is a promise. I think you can put will in the place of may. They will be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. We've talked about the power of lifestyle evangelism. We've talked about the power of your life over your words. Ladies, it is no more true than in the home. As that husband sees your respectful behavior, your quiet and gentle spirit, that will speak to him much more than any words you can say to him. He can argue with your words. You'll not be able to argue with your respectful behavior, with your quiet and gentle spirit. God says, as you become obedient to the word, then that 
releases God to work in your husband's life. Start trusting God to work in your husband's life. You say, well, I don't understand. I'd say he likes brewed coffee, but you've been fixing him instant coffee. Uh, you start fixing him brewed coffee. He said, what's going on? You say, I'm fixing you brewed coffee because Jesus wants me to. That's going to get his attention. He likes homemade biscuits, but you don't want to have to take time to fix homemade biscuits. That's what his mama used to do for him. You're too busy. You decide you will make homemade biscuits for him. So he sits down to breakfast one day and there's homemade biscuits. And he says, what's going on? You say, honey, I'm doing this because Jesus wants me to. Because I love and respect you. And that's going to get his attention. He's going to see something's different. He's going to say, I want you to go to church. If that's what church is doing for you, I might even go see what's going on. Now, ladies, you can't put a timetable on God. You can't say, well, I made him biscuits one time and he still won't come to church. No. Can't say I ground the coffee and made it twice and he's still not a Christian. You gotta let God be God. Let God work at His time. But I believe this is a promise. I believe if you have an unbelieving or disobedient husband and you want to see God work in his life, if you will be that submissive wife with a respectful behavior and quiet and gentle spirit, God has promised He will work on that husband without you having to say anything. See, sometimes wives think they have to be their husband's Holy Spirit. You've been there? Tell us everything we do wrong. You're not my Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit convict me. You're not my conscience. Let the Holy Spirit convict him without a word. As he observes, as he looks closely, at your respectful behavior, your quiet and gentle spirit. And then most important result, add this to your notes, her behavior will be precious in God's sight. Verse 4, let it be of the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, if none of the other results were there, this one in itself would be enough for you ladies to want to be that submissive wife. It's precious in God's sight. Now, what makes something precious? It's rarity. Gold is precious because there's not that much of it. Diamonds are precious because of their rarity. We use the term dirt cheap. Dirt's cheap because there's so much of it. Water is fairly cheap where there's an abundance, but you go out in the desert where there's not much of it, and it suddenly becomes much more valuable because of its rarity. What's God saying when He says this quiet and gentle spirit is precious in His sight? I think He's saying it's a rarity. He's saying the submissive wife who has respectful behavior toward her husband, who has a quiet and gentle spirit, it's such a rarity that when God sees it, it's precious.
one in a million women, I believe, have this quiet and gentle spirit, this respectful behavior that God's looking for. It's even a rarity in Christian circles. Now, ladies, I want to ask you, do you want to be that one in a million? Do you want to be that rare wife that God looks at and says, my, this is that submissive wife. This is that respectful behavior, that quiet and gentle spirit that I so long to see. She is precious in my sight. You want to be that one in a million? By God's grace, you can be.